I'm reading now from 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they bought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and bought it unto the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early in the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priest of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of God, uh, the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be bought around to Gath. So they bought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had bought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that the tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city the hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, my name is Josh Kim and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. And um, once again, we are glad that you could join us via live stream, uh, wherever you are. And we're glad that God has provided us with technology and as volunteers who are well versed in that and we've been very blessed by their volunteer hours and um, be willing to do all this for all of us as we worship the Lord. Today we continue our sermon series in 1st and 2nd Samuel and as Pastor Howard who has been faithfully exegeting the text for us for the past couple of weeks, uh, we're in a topological mode, meaning we're going to look at this text in light of our current situation that is happening. And today we observe what we typically called a Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a day, as we heard, Jesus enters into Jerusalem on his way towards Calvary, to his cross. So today marks the start of what we call a Passion Week. And Passion Week is another word for suffering. And today marks the beginning of Christ's suffering for us on the cross. And we invite you, church, though we will not see you physically on Good Friday nor Easter Sunday service, we invite you to walk with us in the Word as we worship the Lord. And on Good Friday, we'll provide a uh, devotional for you to walk with us at home with your family as well. 
Today's text is not a typical text we often preach from on a Palm Sunday. Um, I, but however, I believe, as Pastor Howard alluded to last week, that 1 Samuel is actually a great book for us as we walk through during this global pandemic of COVID-19. And not only so, I believe this text today that we read, we just read, speaks clearly on why Palm Sunday, this Passion Week, and this coming Easter is ever so important for us. Not only for us in general, but for us especially as we're dealing with COVID-19. What we read today's text is a plague that brings deathly panic to the whole city, eventually the whole country. And what we see is that the spiritual impact is felt throughout the whole city. But not only the spiritual impact, but also historical impact, as this event reminds us of the 10 plagues of Egypt in Exodus. But furthermore, it also has redemptive historical impact, as we see God still working through this chapter to bring about the glory of the Lord. As in the words of Pastor Derek Thomas, the whole message of the Bible is about this particular story we just read today. Church, it is without a doubt that we're living in a historical moment, a heartbreaking moment at that. But what makes this a historical time is that we are and we will be a generation that lived through this. And in many ways, we will be a generation that would have lost a lot through this as well. And the impact will be felt through generations. The events that we read about in 1 Samuel 5 was also historic. In verse 5, it reads, This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Esther to this day, indicating that the events that took place in this chapter has far-reaching implications than just this event alone. And in fact, through the historians, we know that the practice of not treading on the threshold, another word for doorsteps, has been practiced up till the first century AD, far after the events of 1 Samuel 5. And today's event picks off where we left off last week. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord has been taken away after a defeat by the Israelites, the Philistines. And Eli, the spiritual leader, flawed leader, falls backwards, breaking his neck in a tragic death. And now Philistines, coming off their great victory, takes this Ark of the Lord into their own God's idols, temple. And in a celebratory mode, they're celebrating this victory by adorning their temple with Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. But we see that throughout this story, despite what seems like a tragic loss of Israel, God is still at work. God still is bringing about his redemptive purpose through this story. And through this chapter, we'll learn three simple things. And I thought about these three simple truths, especially because we have our families joining. I know, I've been there. Our children are running around us, even during our worship. So I made it very simple for us. Three things we'll see is that 
first, it is all about God. Second, it is all about God. And finally, if you didn't get it the first two times, it still is all about our God. First thing we see in this story is that it's all about God for the Philistines. One of the fondest memories that I have of my older sister was when I was second grade. And I was playing out in the recess as a second grader, and we had one rule in this very crowded playground. And the rule was to not get in the way of the fourth and fifth graders playing soccer match. And if you got in their way, and they cannot promise you good things will happen to you. And of course, as a second grader, we play tag and we run around. And I know a lot of families, you are experiencing this at home. We don't play in our rooms, in our corners. We run all over the place. And this is exactly what I did, running away from my friend's outstretched arms and running into the soccer field. And guess what happened? The soccer ball that was headed towards straight to the goal hit me square on my face as it was about to go into the goal. And I was sitting there days wondering what has happened. Little did I realize there was a group of guys coming towards me, not wanting to help me up, but wanting to do the worst to me. They're known as the bullies in the area. And of course, I was fearing the worst. But the corner of my eye, I saw my sister, fifth grader, a little bigger than all they were, swinging her bag over her head, waiting to beat up all the boys at the sight of perhaps this girl charging at them. All the boys got scared and ran off. Needless to say, the boys picked the fight with the wrong person. They picked a fight with the, the boy with the crazy sister. You know, I think Philistines also picked a wrong God to pick a fight with in this text. Don't we see that? And Philistines learned this the hard way. The very next day, they bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into their God's temple. Verse 1 says, When Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And this isn't the first time we're introduced to this idol, this idol God. And those who are familiar with Samson's story in Book of Judges, we are told the Philistines gathering and celebrating that they have captured Samson and their idol God, Dagon, delivered them. And guess what happens to them? Samson regains the power and they're destroyed. You would think that they learned the lesson the hard way, but they did not, apparently, because they bring this Ark of the Lord to Dagon's temple. And this particular temple was located in the city of Ashdod, which was about some 19 miles to the south of where the battle took place in chapter 4. So they took a long way to get there. As many commentators suggest, perhaps the Ark was brought to this city because Ashdod was the epicenter of religion and culture at the time. And Dagon was worshipped in this city, and it was very important idol for them. And they credited Dagon 
for the victory they just had over Israel. And it's in common practice of the time, as they brought this Ark of the Lord, they decided to put it as a celebratory, almost like a championship banner going up in their own temple, except they don't put their logo in there. They put the logo of other God and saying that we won and this is why we did it. But soon, Philistines find out this God is not like any other God they might have displayed in the temple. Verse 3 says, When the people of Esther rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen faceward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. Historians describe Dagon's statue was rather large with his arms stretched out like this especially in comparison to modest ark, as Pastor Howard described to us last week. And his arms stretched out, and when Scripture says, fallen face war on the ground before the ark. Doesn't that remind you of something? It sounds like worship, doesn't it? This idol god is fallen before the ark of the Lord in worship. And do Philistines get this? Do they realize their fallen idol is in full surrender, in submission to God? They do not, apparently. Because what happens next is comical, isn't it? They realize, wait, my God is fallen on the ground. What do I do? Let's put it back together with our own hands. An idol is an idol because it has absolutely no power. Idol is an idol because we got to put it together with our own hands. And in fact, that's what Philistines do. They put the idol together by their own sinful hands. And verse 4 says, But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face tower on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And now, on top of that, the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Cutting off the hands and the head was a common practice, again, during this time of battle. What it displayed was a complete destruction and defeat. So if the Philistines didn't get it the first time, now they surely should get it. Not only their idol completely destroyed with their arms, hands cut off, head cut off, before the Ark of the Lord Almighty, as one commentator said, quote, the decapitated Dagon seemed to have made it as far as the threshold of the temple. It is as though Dagon was attempting to flee from his own house, thinking, save me, I'm doomed before this Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Doesn't it remind us of the stories of the New Testament when Jesus confronts the devil? Oftentimes they cry out, what have you got to do with us? Get away from me. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. In fact, it's a reminder that our God is powerful. Our God is able to overcome. What our God was demonstrating in this story is a simple truth that despite the failures of Israelites, God is still in control. He still is in power, and it's all about him. It's always been about him. It's never been about the physical presence of the ark. 
It is not also about Philistine idol Dagon, who is absolutely powerless before the Lord. It wasn't about any other idols that we see here. Philistines were worshiping the wrong God. They were looking for security, comfort, giving credit, and worship to the wrong God. And church, what we have to remember is that our life is not about toilet papers. It's not about hand sanitizers. It's not about U.S. economy. It's not about jobs that we have. It's not about families even. It's not about church building as we experience it. It's not about church programs. It's not about my routine, my 401k, my free time, my routine, my security, even my health and my safety. By all means, it's very important for us, and we must pray through them. But we also recognize during this time of quarantine is that perhaps, just perhaps, we often found comfort and security in these things instead of our God. And don't we see that more clearly than ever before when our idols are fallen prostrate before the ark of the Lord? Quite often we recognize our false idols more easily when they are taken away from us, when they're shattered on the ground. Church, I believe what our God is calling us at this time is to lay down our idols before the Lord in the posture of surrender and worship. Perhaps you are dealing with your broken and shattered idols before the Lord. And what are our response when we see that? Are we busy putting our idols back together with our hands? or looking for something else to put up so that we could find help in time of need? Or are you turning to the Lord of the universe? Are you worshiping our God this morning? If you believe that it's all about God, then when our idols are shattered, what we do is worship the Lord. Knowing that nothing was really in my control to begin with anyways, fully acknowledging that it is God's master plan that we are living in instead of the other way around. Church has always been and always will be about God. What Philistines learn in this story is that although they have defeated the Israelites in this battle, that does not mean our God is defeated. That does not mean our God is absent and not in control. And this is the promise of the Lord. No matter what the circumstances may like, seem like to us, what the Word of God reveals to us is that our God is still in control. Just because you and I are in lockdown doesn't mean that God's purpose is not going to be carried out. It's still about what God is going to do. It is still about God's glory. It's still about whom is worshipped on this day. Church, do you believe that? Do you really believe that it's all about God? Are you worshiping the right God this morning? The second point that we see, if you didn't get it the first time, it is still all about God, not only for the Philistines, but also for the Israelites in this story. 
Verse 6, we find that the lesson for the Philistines gets more and more difficult. And that the Lord was heavy against people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its surrounding territory. The broken hand of Dagon, um, the hand that literally broke the idol's hand, were now heavy on the people of Ashdod. And this regional outbreak now turns worse. And it breaks out into the next town where the ark is taken. And you will read that Philistines still don't get it because they still call Dagon an idol, their god. Verse 7 says, When the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our god. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God of Israel there, but after they had brought it around, the hand of God was against the city, causing very great pain, panic, and afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so the tumors broke out on them. So they now send the ark again out towards Akron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Akron, the people of Akron cried out, they have brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and to our people. So now they again send out the ark away from them. And we see the hand was heavy upon people. In verse 12, it reads, the men who didn't die, did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. This outbreak turns epidemic, and soon becomes pandemic, impacting major Philistine cities from Ashdod to Gath to Akron. And there's a great panic as affliction and tumors break out. And based on the description of this tumor and indiscriminatory tumors and the death rate of the plague, coupled with the Philistines, including the golden rats, when they return the ark finally in chapter 6, it indicates to us, as a lot of scientists would say, this is a, perhaps what we see in the 14th century Europe uh, as a bubonic plague, a black death that wiped out almost the half of European population. The language of plague and the desire for the ark to be sent out not only reminds us that deathly plague, but it also harkens back to us a memory of Exodus and the 10 plagues that took place. And Philistines know that very well. We saw that in chapter 4. When the ark first appeared, they were like, this is God that brought about this plague to Egyptians. An author reminds us again by citing a similar text that we are aware of if you're reading through Exodus 3.9. The cries of the people reaches the heavens. Exodus 3.9 says, when the cries of Israelites went up to heavens. Notice, in Exodus 3, God answers them. In this chapter, they do not. God does not. Why? Again, Philistines, even after multiple chants, still do not worship the right God. But what about the Israelites? They were defeated. 
And as Pastor Howard shared with us last week, they were defeated to the point where all their leaders were gone. Eli, Hophni, Phineas has died, and the son born in this crisis was named Itzabad. Do not ever name your child that, symbolizing what the Israelites felt. The glory of the Lord has departed. And it's not just the leaders who led them astray and didn't worship the Lord. We find in Judges chapter 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So yes, just like the Philistines, it is absolutely perhaps right that Israelites lose and suffer just as much. Israelites were feeling defeated at this point, wondering, does God really, did God really leave us? They're vulnerable without any leaders to oversee them. They lost their 40,000 of fighting men. They don't have any defense to any kind of attack that is coming. They're powerless, helpless without any help coming to them. And what's the news today here out of Philistines? Another attack is coming? No. What they're hearing is, hey, let us send you your ark back. Take it from us, please, because we're dying. What they're hearing is that they cannot afford another battle, but battle is already happening. What they're hearing is that God did not leave them. God still fights for them. In fact, God doesn't even need you to fight for them. What God is doing is, God is demonstrating time and time again that He alone can do this. He alone can overcome. And why would God do this for the Israelites who are doing whatever they want, not worshiping the God as they were called to do so? In fact, they are forfeiting their right as they're saying, I don't want to worship this God. I want to use God for my own way, as we saw last week. Why would the God of the universe still be faithful to Israelites today? Why would God do this? And Israel learns again through this story that this is still about God. Genesis 12, 3 says, I will, this God speaking to Abraham, I will bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Genesis chapter 17, again, God speaking to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. In verse 8, it says, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Exodus 3, 7 As God was bringing out the Israelites, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, have heard their cry. Why does he hear their cry? Because of their taskmaster. I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them out of hand of Egyptians and to bring them to out of land, to a good land and broad land, the land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Why? Because I choose to be their God. God does not give up. God does not give on the Israelites, not because they're so faithful to him, but because God is faithful to his promises. Our God is covenant maker, but also our God is covenant keeper. Oh, Israel, oh, church, oh, people of God, even when you and I are unfaithful, 
Bible reminds us God can't help but to be faithful to us. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that, especially during this time? Especially in light of what you're going through, do you still believe that God is at work? Do you proclaim with your bodies, your mouth, and how you live that God is still at work in my life? Do you believe that God is at work in your family? That God is at work in your community? That God is at work in our country, in our leaders, in the world today? Do you still believe that God's purpose and God's ways will be completed despite all that we're experiencing and all of our failures? Do you truly believe that? I think the temptation for us is despair. The temptation is hopelessness. Especially when it's all about me, my flaws. And I think what Satan does well during this time is to go back to his oldest play in his playbook. Blaming others. Isn't it? It has worked really well in the past. She made me do it. The serpent's fault. Why did you put him in there in the first place? Why would you do this to make me like this? Scapegoating. Finding others to deal with my anger, my anxiety, my fear, my insecurity, my hopelessness. It can be a spousal abuse. It could be blaming our children for running around us and yelling at them for not giving us time to work. It could be our politics sometimes, as it does a great job of helping us blame one another, regardless which party you support. And church, can I speak of something that's dear to my heart? Because I'm one of them. Fear and blaming of Asian Americans. FBI warns that there's rise of hate crimes in light of COVID-19. And can I be honest? I don't have to read about statistics, or read about the news to know that. It's been around for a long time. Xenophobia is nothing new under the sun. Racism is nothing new under the sun. It just gets more and more highlighted during this time. And you name it, I experienced it. My friends, families, and relatives experience it. We see it all over the place, sometimes blasted by celebrities over social media, politicians, strangers, coworkers, classmates, our children's classmates, our neighbors. I think it's really easy to blame others. And temptation is right at the corner, isn't it? It's all China's fault. <laughs> it's all government's fault. It's all my kids' fault. Just leave me alone. It's my spouse's fault. Don't they understand that my work is important because I bring the money home? It's all my neighbor's fault. Why aren't you keeping six feet of distance away from me? It's all those stockpilers' fault. Man, I can't find anything because of you. It's all because of the older people's fault. It's all because of the spring breakers' fault. It's all because of all of your fault and not mine. And especially during this time, church, we throw away the great commandment. 
We throw away to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because we forget that commandment is tied to loving our God with all of our soul and mind and strength. And you can be only loved by the Lord because he loves you. And if we remember that he still loves you, he still is in control despite our failures, how can you not help but to love others instead of blaming them? Our God is not done with us, as we see in this text. He is still at work. He fights on in this world of COVID-19. And I don't know what the purpose or how this is working out, but the Word of God reminds us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Reverend Francis J. Grimke was a renowned African-American pastor of 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. He also lived through a pandemic similar to ours in 1918, a flu epidemic. And similarly, the shops were closed during this time, mass public gatherings were outlawed, and of course, church services were canceled. And after a several weeks, church was finally able to open its doors. And as people filed in and gathered to worship the Lord, he preached this sermon on November 3rd, 1918. And he said, quote, I started to worry at first as it seems to upset all of our plans for the fall work. But I soon recovered my composure. I said to myself, why worry? God knows what he is doing. His work is not going to suffer. It will rather be a help to it in the end. Out of it, I believe, great good is coming. All the churches as well as the community at large are going to be stronger and better for this season of distress through which we, are, which we have been passing. A testimony at that. The question is, how can you and I have this kind of confession? I think it is only possible when you realize, when we realize that God knows what he's doing. And he's actually better at that than at us. That he still is in control. And just like for the Israelites, in their most difficult despair, after a terrible defeat, after loss of many of their loved ones, after trials in the puddle of brokenness, if you still believe it is still all about God, then you find comfort knowing that God will do his work and we will be better because of it. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe the God of Israel in Judges and 1 Samuel is our God on April of 2020. The final point that we see in this text, again, if you didn't get it, this is it. It's all about God for the Philistines. It's all about God for the Israelites. And it's absolutely all about God for all of us. Wherever you are, it's still all about God. Today is Palm Sunday. It is the day that Christ enters triumphantly 
as our Bible is right, into Jerusalem. And we know this day as a triumphant entry because it's highlighting that Christ will overcome our sin and death. We also call this day Palm Sunday, the beginning of the Passion Week, culminating all the way to the Good Friday of Christ's death on the Calvary. And Palm Sunday represents that. This has Pastor Howard beautifully illustrated that for us in our call to worship. That our Savior is coming. Jesus is coming. Come save us, O Lord. Come save us, O Lord. Come save us, O Lord. But if you follow through the story of this Palm Sunday, you also realize that this Palm Sunday is not only talking about the pageantry, it's not only talking about the joyous times. It's not only talking about the gladness. This Palm Sunday represents the beginning of the suffering. An end that we don't seem to want or expect in following Christ. I want this Christ who will fight on for me despite my failures to be triumphant. I want this God who is victorious against Philistines to be victorious for me by providing for me a shelter and protection no matter what happens. I want this God to be all-conquering. I want this God to provide me with safety and security to say that you are okay. You will be safe. You won't have to deal with all this pain and suffering. I want this. And oftentimes when we get to triumphant entry, when we get to this portion of the scripture, we say, God is here. That's great. I don't have to suffer no more. But we see Christ will actually go towards the Calvary. He will actually suffer. In church, he will actually die. And he will call us to follow him in the exact same path. He is coming. He is coming. But he's coming to suffer. For us. And this morning, especially in light of COVID-19, I'm grateful for that message. Because it's all about God for us too. Because that means I am included in the story of suffering of the cross. I'm included in the promised resurrection after suffering on Easter Sunday. Because church Yes, I know he's coming, but our circumstances don't seem to change at times. Yes, he is coming, but we're losing our loved ones. Many are dying around us. Yes, I know he's coming, but I'm concerned about my future, my family's health, and our nation's health in general. And we will lament, we cry, we despair, and rightly so. We ought to lament as we look at our losses piling high again and again and again. We ought to lament at the helplessness that we've experienced and utter, utter failures that we often experience today. And that's why this day is so important for us. He is coming but the reason why he came also allows me to lament. Because Christ comes into 
our brokenness. He comes into our hopelessness, into our despair, into our defeat. In all my mess, in all my lament, in all my struggles and failures of idolatry, he is our high priest who walked on earth, who took on flesh, who knows us inside out, and he will carry all this, all our pain, all our suffering, all that's not how it's supposed to be upon his shoulders. The entire creation that is groaning under the brokenness, he takes it to the cross. Jesus is all about God, and he will complete God's plan in our brokenness for the sake of God's glory. Church, don't get lost on the pageantry of the entry. Don't get lost on the palm trees waving, the clothes lining on the ground, the chants of the people. Don't get lost on what he's writing or what he's not writing, but focus on him. He's what this is all about, isn't it? Church, do you believe that? Then don't get lost in the news of the day. Don't get lost in the heartbreak of the day. Our failures, our struggles in them. Don't get lost trying to blame others people groups, hatred, and selfishness. No matter what God is calling us on this day, on this Palm Sunday, is to focus on Christ who is coming. This is what this is all about, and this is what this Palm Sunday is all about. Our idols will not save us. If you're holding on to them, as we wake up every day, we realize it is bowing down before the Lord. It is shattered. It is no longer there. Our own efforts will not save us. We lost the battle. We tried to use God for our own advantage so many times, but that doesn't seem to work. Our own bodies are powerless, not only against the virus, but it also shows that we are absolutely powerless before our own sin that stands to condemn us. But church, oh church, turn your attention, turn your focus, Turn your heart towards Christ who enters. It's all about him. He is God who promises eternal life. He is God who will rescue us from our sins. He alone has answers for the desperate world that is looking for comfort and peace. And he will do it. That's why he came. And he will go to that Calvary upon the cursed tree. He cries out, Father, forgive them. He cries out, it is finished. Yes, indeed, on that Calvary, he has done it. He promises eternal security, not of this finite world, but on the eternal one that is to come. He alone is the one who declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this day, especially as we deal with COVID-19, what greater promises than that? He is the one that will bring us comfort and peace in times of trouble. Church, as I share this, I'm preaching this to myself as well. Because I'm with you. This whole quarantine, this whole COVID-19 is hard, y'all. We have prayer calls at 2 p.m. every day on Zoom. And I've been sharing this week has been especially difficult. Not only we hear of economy tanking and our folks losing jobs, uh, we also got the news of death this week. 
in our church, uh, extended family members of our church, we're losing people. And personally, for me this week, and for my family, we actually heard of, a, of, a, of our close friend's father who died due to coronavirus. And because of his death, his wife is quarantined by herself in the house he died in for two weeks with their kids outside, not being able to comfort their own mother. Honestly, I doubted, I despaired, I got sidetracked, lamented, cried, cursed, wonder why, tried to find something or someone to blame. And that's where I believe many of us are today, and many of us are found throughout this whole crisis. And oh man, don't you love that our children doesn't get that? <laughs> they don't understand sometimes. They do. In their own ways, they are lamenting. And as Pastor Howard reminded us, through Hold On A Minute, they are grieving as well. But sometimes, um, they don't practice social distance when they ought to. Especially when we're going through something as emotional as that. But oh, how God uses our children sometimes to speak the truth to us. One of the things that my son loves to do is to call my name 2,000 times. Daddy, 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 daddy. I'm right here, right? <laughs> daddy, daddy. And I'm going through the most difficult thing possible, but they'll say, daddy, daddy, daddy. Another thing that he loves to do is to play vacation Bible school. He loves playing and pretending that we're in vacation Bible school. Aaron McFadden, our beloved children's director, has been awesome in putting amazing resources on our Facebook group. Please do join that and thank her for all that she's doing. And Aaron, I think you made a great impact, uh, especially on my child's life. And he pretends to be Aaron, pretends to be all the Bible teachers, pretends to sing the song, and he's been blasting, blasting, last year's Vacation Bible School songs in anticipation of what is coming. Last year's song is called, I'm Trusting in You, God. And he's belting this out throughout this week as in my despair, in my hopelessness, and my goodness, this is prophetic, guys. The lyrics are so true. I'm not going to sing it, but let me read some for you. Right? It says, Wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. Life will get crazy, wild and amazing. I don't know about the amazing part, but I'm trusting you, God. You are good. Walk through the valley, climb mountains high, wherever you go. Lord, you are good. Can't hold me back. Now I'm going to fly. Wherever we go, Lord, you are good. And it says, I want to live each day like anything can happen. Yeah, we made our kids sing that. Can hardly wait what is next. I want to face this world with wonder and excitement. Face every challenge 
every test. Oh. Wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. And you know, they, you know, if you have children, they belt that out as if you don't get it. Life will get crazy, wild and amazing. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. Whatever you lead me, I'm going to follow. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. Life will get crazy, wild and amazing. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. I'm trusting you, God. You are good. Church, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Especially today. Doesn't our finiteness, the fact that we're fragile human beings, is so closer to home? Are you belting this out in your heart? I'm trusting in you. You are good. It's all about God, church. It's always been about God. Our God is good. He knows us. He sees us. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's our God Almighty, Savior, Redeemer, Resurrected Savior, coming King on this Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Let's pray. As we reminded, as one of our elders reminded me this week in our prayer call, what can we do but to pray? Let's pray to our God of the universe to deliver us. But let's also pray to our God of universe to say, God, I want to trust in you to declare that you are good, to believe that, Lord, you continue to fight for me. Father, that's our prayer, Lord. As we have gathered in this place, in our homes, and all over the world, as we have scattered to worship the Lord, God, we're broken. We're in our puddles of our losses. We wonder how much longer will this go on. But despite our struggles and failures, as we're reminded again and again throughout this scripture and through the cries of perhaps our children singing the song, Lord, we believe that you are a good God. We believe that despite the difficulties through the valley of shadow of death, still you are a good God. Despite our jobs that are a certain future that seems cloudy, despite the losses that we experience in our lives, we who follow Christ, who have eternal hope in the world that is to come, we declare with the saints of the past, saints of now and in the future, that you are good. God is same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He will carry on his purpose, not only in my life, but in this world for the glory of God. And that we believe, we proclaim. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.